Good morning. If you have your Bibles, open it to Joshua chapter 5. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and, and they'll, they'll get one out to you. Keep your hand up, they'll get it to you. As we've been journeying through the book of Joshua, we've kind of been taking a ride with Joshua himself. We saw the encouragement that he needed in the first chapter, his fear. We saw his wanting assurance and God giving it to him. We saw God giving him instruction. We saw God calling not only him, but the whole people to set themselves apart for God. And if they would do that, God would do amazing things among them. And and last week, we, we talked about a memorial that God wanted to establish because we so quickly forget. We so quickly fail to remember the things that God has been faithful to do. And so they compiled the stones, one for each tribe to represent the nation, and they set it now in Gilgal, the first time that they've met in hundreds of years in the land of promise, establishing a new base camp, basically, where the nation was going to operate from. And you would think that after God does something miraculous, like stopping the Jordan River from rushing so that the people could cross over, and as you have this memorial set up that reminds you of what God has done, you'd think, man, it's, it's smooth sailing from here. God has done so much. Let's go, and life is just going to be easy street and, and no problems from here on out. But as soon as they cross Jericho, I mean, Jordan, there's Jericho. And I don't know if you've experienced that in life, but I have, where I feel like I've enjoyed blessings from God. Things are so good, and it's, man, it's all I can do to contain the joy that I have. And no sooner that I wake up the next morning, and there's the news, there's the whatever the circumstance change, and there's a Jericho now in front of me. And it seems like I I thought I got past this. I I thought I was done with the problems. I thought God was for me. And, And now what is this? This wall that is here. And I'm confronted once again with something that needs to be overcome. And really, that's what we're going to be seeing throughout the book of Joshua. But let's start at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means to roll or perhaps wheel. It has the idea of rolling away. And God is starting off reminding Joshua where they're at. Remember what happened to you in Egypt. Well, I've dealt with that. That is now in the past, and we're starting over. This is rolling over those, that time of slavery, that time of reproach. And he goes on in verse 10, and he says, On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, 
the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate of the produce of Canaan. Now, if you remember, back in Egypt, right before they left Egypt, they celebrated the Passover for the first time. And and God told them to make that a memorial at that time, to remember this day when I delivered you out of the hand of Egypt and spared your lives, the lives of the firstborn. And so now they get into this place and God has rolled away the reproach of Egypt, but now they're entering into this promised land, but they again remember what God had done before, how he delivered them from Egypt, and now they're in this new land. And it says that for the first time, they ate of the produce there in Canaan. And then it says that the manna stopped. Now, if you don't, you're thinking, what's the manna? Well, that's actually what manna means. Manna means, what is it? And it was this supernatural provision by God while they were in the desert. They would wake up in the morning, they'd get out of their tents, and their growing in the ground was manna. What is it? I don't know, but you could eat it. And it sustained them throughout the 40 years that they were there in Egypt. God on occasion would give them quail or something different, but for the most part, they had manna. Manicotti, manna burgers, they had... (laughs) They ate this nonstop, and on the Sabbath day, God gave them enough to last them two days, otherwise it would spoil. They had to go out and depend on God every morning. Every morning they wake up and wonder if man is there. There it is. What is it? I don't know, but there it is. The next day, there it is again. You know, I'm going to get enough for tomorrow so we don't have to do it. No, it would rot and it would spoil. And so they had to depend on God every day. Now, wouldn't you think when you get to the land of promise that God would continue just providing manna? Wouldn't that, doesn't that seem right? Just seems right. Come on, we're in the promised land. God, keep the manna coming. No doubt they were glad to have something different. Have you ever eaten something every day for a long period of time? My brother and I, when I was, I think I was in like sixth grade, I was probably 11 years old or something, my my parents went to Hawaii for two weeks and they left us money so we could buy food. And every day or every evening we bought pizza for one week. And the day finally came when he said, you want to get pizza? And we said, no, that's okay. That's all right. I've, I've had my fill of pizza. Well, you can imagine having your fill of man. And so they were happy to eat the produce of the land. But you see, what happened is when they were able to work and produce this, then God stopped that. Because manna was wilderness food, but now you're entering into a different phase and a different part of your life. And, you know, that's what happens to us many times. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away, I put childish ways behind me. There comes a time when you have to move on in your life and you have to grow up and you have to change. And really that's what's taking place here in the nation of Israel. There is change. You are no longer 
children in the wilderness. You are now children in a land that was promised to you. You are no longer going to be provided manna. You now have to work and provide for yourself. You now have to take part in what is happening here. And we're resistant to change. We don't like it when things change. Have you ever had to change jobs, change schools? I went to three different high schools. I didn't like it. I have no class spirit. There were too many classes. I went from this one to this one to this one, and it's like, yeah, I give up. You know, I'm, all, I'm only here a short time. I never got my roots down deep. And I was thinking about it. I've been in seven different jobs in like the last, I think it was 14, no, 10 years. It's like, man, what a loser. <laughs> Probably shouldn't share all these things with you. <laughs> Actually, it was seven jobs in 10 years, I think it was. <laughs> Less of a loser. But the change is always difficult, especially if it's something totally different. I remember going into fire sprinklers and having to learn the codes and having to learn the installation process. And, and then from there, I remember going into wood and dealing with wholesale wood. And I can remember one day going out and we're sorting different lumber and we're, I'm learning the grades, you know, this is select and better and this is one common and this is two common. We're going to put the select and better here and this and this and this. And I remember as the guys were talking, they were talking about, well, we'll have Sam do that. And they said, well, he can't do that. He really doesn't know anything. He's just a yard dog. And I thought, yeah, you know, how, how do you feel? He, I'm just a yard dog who doesn't know anything, you know. I'm going to go mark my territory. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I just felt so low, and I felt like I'm starting all over again, and that change is just so uncomfortable because you don't know what's going on. I don't know the differences, and I had to work my way and learn all over again. And the children of Israel are coming into a place of change once again. And change is always a little awkward. It's always a little uncomfortable. And you have to work your way through it. And the manna is stopped. And now you're going to have to find your own produce. You're going to have to fend for yourself. You're going to have to move forward and put away the things of the past, the childish things, and, and start living different. And, you know, God calls each of us to do that in our, our walk with him. There's a time where we enjoy just the newness and the freshness of this relationship and belief and faith in Christ. But then he takes away the manna because that's wilderness food and you need to move something else. Like our children, you know, the bottle is easy. You can just pop the bottle in their mouth and, and let them sit there and they, you know, drink it and fall asleep. But it doesn't last. You, you want to get them on solids so that they'll sleep through the night. But it's a mess. They throw the bowl. They throw the spoon. It never gets in their mouth. It gets on their face. But you have to progress, and then you've got to change. You know, you get to the cereals, and then finally they can eat food. And you try and feed them peas, and it's all over. We have to grow up. 
And the only way to grow up is to push forward. There's a verse that I love in 1 Samuel 14. It says, Jonathan, as he and his armor bearer are going to fight the Philistines. And Jonathan says, you know what? Let's challenge them. And there was a whole troop of them and just he and his armor bearer. And he says, let's put this out before the Lord. If they say, hey, come over here, we know that God has delivered them into our hands. But if they come after us, well, you know, we'll probably get wiped out. But hey, what are we going to do? And as they called out, they said, hey, why don't you guys come over here? And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, see, they've given us. The Lord has given them to us. And it says that Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. Now, I always thought... Why would it say that? What else is he going to climb up with? His elbows? You know, you're going to climb up with your hands and feet, but you know, sometimes that's what it takes to move forward into this change of life that we have. We just have to work our way through it. We have to put one foot in front of the other, one hand in front of the other, and we have to climb up that hill, and we have to take that land, and we need to embrace this life and grow in it. And we need to work through it. Because the change that needs to help take place is there to help us. It's there to help us grow up. We need to put away the childish things. We need to enter into the promises that God has for us. And we need to work our way through it. We need to labor through it. We need to grow through it. And it's not easy. It's a lot easier just to have manna appear on the ground. But if you're going to mature, if you're going to grow up, you need to start working it. And the same thing is true in our lives. We need to, to grow and we need to mature in these things. It goes on in verse 13. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and asked, Are you for us or our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua now, the commander of this nation, goes to scout out Jericho, the walled, fortified city that is there in front of them. The next task, they've crossed the river, but now they're facing the wall. They have to get past this city. They can't allow the inhabitants there to continue God had told them to take the land. And as he comes there and he's looking at the city, he sees someone. And where it says he looked up, do a study. If you have a concordance and look up all the places it says looked up. Because it's interesting the things that happen when a person looks up. And it's not looking up to heaven. It's seeing what is there. And when a person is looking up, the accounts that we have in Scripture, it's a, a crossroads in their life. Something is taking place, a decision that they're having to make, a, a time where they're going to have to make a change, a time where they're going to have to make a, a decision which way they should go. 
We see this take place throughout the scriptures. We see in Genesis 18.2 that Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground to them. He had an encounter with God just like Joshua did. And it's interesting because Abraham was a wanderer. He was a sojourner. And who comes, how does God appear to him? He appears to him as these strangers just wandering. And he looked up and he saw them just as Joshua looked up. Now, Joshua was a commander. He was a general. And when he looks up, who does he see? A commander of the Lord's army. God shows up to Abraham as a wanderer, shows up to Joshua as a commander. He shows up in a way that they can relate to, in a way that they understand. And he presents with them options and decisions of what they are to do, if they're going to follow after him and listen to them. Abraham did, and so does Joshua. We see also in Genesis 13 that Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar, and he pitched his tents Toward Sodom. This is a time when he looked up and he had to make a decision which way he was going to go as he separated himself from Abraham and he said, that looks good, I'm going to go there. And we see that he pitched his tent towards Sodom, which was going to be detrimental to him and his family. It was a decision he made as he looked up and decided which way he was going to go. Genesis twenty-two thirteen. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket saw a ram caught by the horns when he went over to took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Once again, he looked up and he saw God's provision, made a decision to go and get that. God had provided this way. It was a, a, a decisive moment in his life as he looked up. One last one, it says in Exodus 14, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They had a decision to make. They had to trust God and go through the Red Sea or to be devastated by the Egyptian army. A crossroads in their lives as they looked up. And you see, what we need to do as we are moving forward in this life, as we, as we have set ourselves apart for God, as we are now trusting and living for him, we need to look up. We need to survey the life around us and make a decision of which way we are going to go. If we are going to see the Lord and his work in our lives or if we are going to pitch our tent towards Lot because it looks pretty good over there. If we are going to trust God for his provisions like Abraham saw the ram or if we are going to just try and provide for our own way and leave God out of the mix. If we are going to trust God and go through the Red Sea or follow after him. We all need to look up and make a decision of which way we are going to go. Because God shows up in our lives. Maybe not like he did Joshua. Well, I'm pretty sure not like he did Joshua. But he shows up in our lives and what takes place is the decision we have to make. The crossroads in our lives of what we are going to do from here forward. And you see, as God told Joshua to look up, he's telling all of us, look up and decide which way you're going to go, how you're going to live, and where I am leading you. And Joshua sees and encounters 
this messenger. And we believe this to be Jesus because Joshua bows down and worships him. If it was just an angel, an angel wouldn't receive worship. Only God can receive worship. And so this is some manifestation of Jesus. And I love how Joshua starts off, are you for us or for our enemies? I can just see him with his hand on his sword. Okay, who are you, for us or for our enemies? And the reply is incredible. It just says, neither. I like the King James, it says, no. I, I, I can understand no, because I, I've said no many times, my kids. Can I have this? Can I have that? No. You're, you're not talking the same thing. You know, can I have this car or that car? No. And Joshua is wanting to know, well, what side are you on? And he's like, no, I don't, I don't get on someone's side. You get on my side. And you see, that's the decision that Joshua has to make. And as he says, neither, but the commander of the Lord, I have come, Joshua then falls down. He makes his decision. He falls down to the ground in reverence and asks him, what does my Lord have for his servant? He looked up, he saw, he responded, what do you want me to do? And you see, that's the appropriate response when you encounter God. When God reveals himself to you, when you look up and see that, the appropriate response is in, God, are you going to get on my side? Are you for me? Are you going to help me with this? Are you going to help me with that? Are you going to help me to do this? God says, no. I'm the Lord. You need to acknowledge me. And Joshua did. And we need to. And as Joshua fell down, he worshiped the Lord. We see something familiar that we've seen before. It happened to Moses in verse 15. The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Just about a month ago, I was going through Exodus, where this took place with Moses. The burning bush... And I love that story because Moses saw a bush burning but wondered, why isn't it being consumed? And his curiosity moved him to go and check it out. And that was where he encountered God. And, and so many times we've heard that, you know, don't question it. Don't question God. You just got to believe. But God used his inquisitive nature to draw him to himself. And maybe it's, you're inquisitive, wondering, well, I'm going to go to church, see what it's about. I've heard them about it. Just be careful. Your inquisitive, inquisitive you know, thoughts might just bring you to a place where you encounter God. And as Moses encounters this burning bush, and he starts talking to shrubbery, you know, he's, he's sitting there and he says, who are you? And he says, I'm the Lord. God says the same thing. Take off your shoes, your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Now, I've always thought that holy ground, when, when God says, take off your shoes, it's holy ground, I always looked at it as distancing yourself from God. I'm on holy ground, God's over there, I'm on holy ground. But think about it, taking your shoes off, isn't that actually bringing you closer to the ground that is holy, not further away? And what God is telling 
Moses and what he is telling Joshua and what I believe he is telling us is I want nothing between you and my holiness. I want you to be as close to it as you can be. And I want it to be next to you. I want your skin to fill the dirt. And you see, the ground wasn't holy. It was the presence of God that made it holy. But God wanted him to experience it in the fullness. He wanted it to touch his skin. He wanted to touch his life and forever change it. You see, God is drawing us to holiness, not keeping us from it. God is wanting us to be closer to him, not distant. Jesus said we are to be holy even as God is holy. There isn't a wall that divides us any longer between God and his holiness. Jesus is taking care of that. And he wants us as close to him as we can be. And for some reason, we think, oh, God's holy. I I can't go there. But God says, get as close as you can. Get as close as you can to this holy moment, to what's happening right here. He's not pushing him away, but he's actually drawing him near. And what God is doing to Joshua is he's bringing him into a realization of who he is, God, that will change Joshua's perspective. As Joshua looked up and he saw and he submitted himself to God, God drew him to himself and he changed his perception of what was going to happen. He talked about how he was going to battle Jericho and it wasn't any conventional way. You guys know the story. You're going to march around the city once a day. And the priests are going to lead the way and they're going to take the ram's horns and they're going to go and they're going to go around the city six times in six days. And then on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, which they were supposed to rest on, you're going to work a lot more. You're going to actually go around seven times and then the priests are going to blow the horn and then you're going to watch the Lord do the work. That's foolish. That makes no sense. That's not how it's done. You got to bring in the artillery. You got to get some catapults. We got to get the arrows. We're going to get the archers. We're going to storm the gate. We're going to build a barricade. I know I've played those games online. You've got to do this so that you can get through and you can break through the wall. God says, no, I'm going to show you things different. And when you look up and you submit to the Lord and he draws you close to himself, you see things that you don't usually see. Turn to first or Second Kings chapter six. If you're at Joshua, turn right. You're going to go past Samuel. You're going to go past First Kings. Go to Second Kings, chapter six. Second Kings chapter six. We're going to start at verse fifteen. Elisha is trapped by the Arameans. They're surrounding the city. And he's talking to his servant. In verse 15, it says, When the servant of the man of God, which is Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. 
Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And God routed the enemy, conquered them. The servant didn't see what Elisha saw. The people didn't see what now Joshua saw. Joshua's perspective was changed when he saw the Lord and when the Lord drew him to himself. You want to have faith to be able to believe God for for the things in your life, the things that you struggle with? Well, you have to look up. You have to submit to God and you need to be brought into his holiness. You need that growth and change in your life so that your perspective can change, so that you can see things clearly. There's another scripture in Matthew. Matthew 14, verse 25. And this is a story we're familiar with, with Peter walking on the water. In Matthew 14, starting at verse 25, it says, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. I like how it just says that. Oh, yeah, and he was walking on the lake. Okay, what would you do? All right? Just think about that, because the disciples saw him walking on on the lake and were terrified. That's what you would do. And they said, it's a ghost. They said, and they cried in fear. That's what we would do. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Now, this story is just incredible. One of the things that blows my mind about this story isn't that Jesus walks on the water, is that Peter says, let me do it too. I don't know that I would think that. I don't know that my mind would go out that way. I mean, I think it'd be fun, but I don't think I would automatically go, hey, I want to go for that. But you see, something about Peter's time with Jesus changed his perspective changed what he thought and how he thought. And the things he had already been a part of, he knew that Jesus was teaching him to be like him. That was the whole idea of a disciple, was to follow in the footsteps of his rabbi. And so Peter knew that if Jesus could do this, then I can do this too. Why? Because he had looked up and saw Jesus because he wanted to be nearer to Jesus and like Jesus. And so he said, let me come out there. And he did. And he started walking on the water until what happened? What does it say happened? 
What did he see? He didn't see the storm. He saw the wind. Some, ma- some translations will say saw the, the tempest or the storm or the wind's results, but it literally says he saw the wind. How do you see wind? When you are drawn into the presence of God, you will see things that you've never seen before. You will see the hand of God in areas of your life that you've never seen before. It will open your eyes to the chariots around the field. It will open your eyes to the Lord before you. It will open your eyes to things that you could not see before. God is calling us to himself. And as we would look up and see the direction we need to move in, the life that we need to live, and we would draw nearer to his holiness, he will open our eyes to see things that we could never see before. Whether it be the army that is around us, whether it be the wind, whether it be the Lord of hosts who is going to march around this walled city and bring it down whether it be the the destruction in your life, the calamity in your life, the hurt, the pressures, the anxieties of your life, do you see the Lord? Do you have faith in God? Because if you do, you will see past the circumstances and be able to see the Lord of hosts, commander of the army, going before you. And there is no wall in your life that will stop you. There is no circumstance that can keep you back. There is no enemy against us if the Lord is for us. And the Lord will show us what that means. The Lord will reveal how that is to play out in our lives because we look at this much of a picture that is this big. And we do not have eyes to see as big as God sees. But he can open our eyes to see what is necessary, what is eternal, what will help us through the strongholds in our own life. This is where Sam's battery died. We apologize for the inconvenience.